Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen back on the Noggin Notes podcast with you all. Thank you for tuning back in. This is episode number 54 and we're going to dive just very briefly into the uh, history of mental illness and how we got to where we are and why we look so weirdly upon it as opposed to say physical illness, which is much more normal. And uh, I spent a little bit of time going through some sections of a book that I just recently stumbled across, and I think it gives excellent citation and overview to um, how we got to where we are from the ancient times through the Middle Ages to modern times. And I also talk about some of the implications of what it what continuing to stigmatize mental illness treatment does for us, uh, or does to us, I should say, because uh, the outcome is is not great when we keep people. Uh, who need treatment from getting treatment uh, simply because we don't want to pay attention to them or it's weird or it's scary or we don't want to have the conversation. So um, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, as always, we're sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. Check out zephyrwellness.org, see what we got going on. And if you're listening in the northern Nevada area, I want to announce very proudly that we are open in network with Health Plan of Nevada Medicaid Insurance, and that covers uh, children basically on Medicaid in the Washoe County area. And we are now fully ready to to take you guys in and, and get you the help you need. So uh, spread the word. If you have Health Plan of Nevada Medicaid, we are now proudly in network with that insurance branch. And we're ready to rock and roll. So without further delay, this is a very, very, very brief overview of the history of mental illness and why it's stigmatized and what we can do about it. Enjoy. A couple of weeks ago, Susanna Senyacic gave us a podcast on how to remove the stigma from mental illness and and its uh, subsequent treatments. And I appreciate what she did. And I think in order to give a little more context, what I'd like to do is provide a brief history of why we have a stigma around mental illness in the first place. I think the easy uh, blame to 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 which we can point is just simply that it's it's hard to see, right? Um, it's it's difficult to wrap our heads around the idea that something that we can't see, touch, quantify uh, could could exist and could disrupt somebody's life so badly, and historically, and I'm not talking just in the last hundred years that we've had film and television portraying mentally ill people as dangerous and and, um, threatening, but for thousands of years, people have struggled with mental illnesses. And I wanted to share with you something out of a book that I just happened to stumble across. It's called Mental Illness, and it's by uh, Victoria Shero, S-H-E-R-R-O-W. And it's part of a Lucent overview series. Uh, Lucent Technologies did a, a series of books with uh, various titles that basically give an overview on um, certain things from pesticides to uh, population uh, to drug abuse uh, to mental illness to espionage. I mean, a whole bunch of them uh, were included in this series. And it was written about 1996. But it, it encapsulates a nice historical section in here. And I want to just read a, a little bit from the from the first part of this book. It says, in ancient times, mentally ill people were not placed in asylums, that is, separate institutions to house them. Communities treated mentally Ill, mental illness as a private matter unless a person broke the law or threatened public safety. In his famous Laws uh, 11, the Greek philosopher Plato states, quote, If a man is mad, he shall not be at large in the city, but his relations, meaning his family, shall keep him at home in any which way they can, or if not, let them pay a penalty. So the family would be penalized for not caring for their own family member who may be mentally ill. The ancient Romans also shared this view. Um, so while wealthy families could care for their mentally ill 
family members at home, you know, restraining them if necessary. The poorer or those without relatives uh, just simply roam the streets, and they're, uh, you know, they're they're often ridiculed. Now, does this sound familiar? We're facing this today in in modern society, where the poor and the underserved are roaming the streets without services. Um, today, in the state of Nevada, I get to live in a place where we can um, infamously rank ourselves dead last in all the states of America when it comes to behavioral health treatment. And on top of that, our state-funded insurance system, known as Medicaid, is uh, is actually considering more obstacles to care in the form of uh, asking for prior authorizations after the third session of being seen. Now, that seems completely counterintuitive, and in fact, it is. It runs uh, totally contrary to everything else that's going on nationally and internationally where we're trying to remove barriers to care. But it's fascinating to me as I was looking through this this history of, of mental illness through the ages, how many of these things continue to return to us today in the same form that they were of yesteryear. Now, as science developed uh, around 400 B.C., uh, people fought, uh, sought better ways to, to treat mental illness and physical illnesses. So um, all illnesses were starting to, to get um, moved past the spiritual realm and, and seeking prayer and so forth and more into uh, a, a tangible way of, of treatment. So uh, like I said, around 400 BC is when the Greek physician Hippocrates, from which we derive our Hippocratic Oath for medical doctors, he uh, listed and described a number of mental and physical illnesses, and he declared that mental illnesses uh, or, or mental diseases were worthy of study and compassion, so much so that they should be placed uh, on the same level as physical ones. And he, he uh, also surmised that they had natural causes that could be discovered, such as you know damaged brain tissues and so forth, which we are still debating today. We still don't know all that goes into the makeup of the brain, and we, we only understand maybe... 70% of what the brain does, depending on, on who you talk to, it you know, ranges from 50 to 80, I suppose. Um, but, but we don't know all of what the brain does. And there's some 86 billion brain cells that all perform a different function. So it's possible that maybe once we discover the entirety of the brain, we'll unlock all mental illness. That would be nice because then we would place it into a physically quantifiable box. And you know, until then, all we have are, are theories about why people s struggle and suffer. So Throughout history, as as the as time progresses, um, what we see is in, in the fourth century A.D. Uh, uh, Caelius Aurelianus of Rome, perhaps uh, they said the greatest physician of his time, promoted the use of therapeutic baths known as hydrotherapy, and um, and he criticized that when people would beat up or or tie up the mentally ill, which was a practice that was uh, very popular back in in the ancient Roman days. Uh, for centuries, mental illness was viewed as more of a private matter than a social problem. Uh, families and communities cared for their own, yet society at large uh, feared and stigmatized the mentally ill. Public attitudes moved gradually from avoidance to hostility to outright persecution, which uh, the book tells us peaked during the Middle Ages. So from you know, 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D., you know, roughly a thousand years, Scientific progress across all of Europe just came to a standstill, and that's that's what's known as the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, uh, before we went into the Renaissance. So what happened there is for for several thousand years, dating back to you know pre uh, prehistory, we 
we see this uh, mental illness presentation that nobody really knows what to do with, and people are left to either fend for themselves or have their families take care of them, and lacking families, no one took care of them. Now, what we know today is that people who aren't contributing to society are, are by nature detracting from it, and I don't mean that to sound like a judgmental term, but if uh, your and my tax dollars are going into a system that's going to help fund people who don't have resources of their own, be they uh, physical illness, mental illness, uh, social resources, job training, prisons, it doesn't really matter where the resources go. The point is that it's a drain, right? So uh, ideally what we'd like to do is rehabilitate people back to where they're contributing to society, contributing to the economy, and, and with the understanding, of course, that not everybody's are, you know going to make it to that level. Some people just need to be cared for in, in perpetuity. But what we don't want to be doing is ignoring our mentally ill citizens who don't have the resources and don't have the families to be able to care for them themselves. Society absolutely has an investment to help these people get well. And if you're looking at a state like Nevada that, for what, whatever reason, is dead last in treating its mentally ill, you can reasonably conclude that Nevada also is dead last in receiving production from those who could otherwise be productive. So we do have an obligation uh, because overall uh, everybody benefits from from a healthier society and it's not just in economic terms but for example I don't want to walk through the grocery store and watch uh, couples arguing or kids being yelled at uh, you know and I don't want my my children going onto the playground and being bullied by uh, you know emotionally unstable children who come from disruptive homes you know so uh, everybody benefits from from overall health and i think there's there's a a need for us to contribute from our paychecks from our our tax dollars to a responsible social structure that helps those who don't otherwise have the same resources that um, you know wealthy people or intact families might have so the book continues that um in the in the you know in the era between 500 AD and 1500 AD, uh, the mentally ill were you know, called lunatics or fiend sick, and uh, medieval historians describe public abuse uh, like when people were sometimes forced to recite uh, you know sentences that were very judgmental, uh, and and they would be sent off. So for, for during the Inquisition, for for example, set up in in 1231 by the Catholic Church. Um, which was the dominant political force in Europe, Inquisition officials arrested and tried people accused of heresy, which is speaking out or acting against the, the church, and then convicted heretics faced fines, you know, uh, property loss, beatings, imprisonment, or death. And among those accused of heresy were the mentally ill people whose odd behavior just simply led folks to charge them with witchcraft or devil worship, and uh, witch hunts took place. And, and by the end of the 1500s, thousands of of convicted so-called witches had had been burned at the stake and uh, very few people stood up uh, against that for fear of uh, reprisal also and this practice even continued into America into the 1600s uh, when you know Massachusetts uh, colony was established and the Salem witch trials were occurring so the, you can see how this uh, started in in the in the ancient Roman Empire and ancient Greece, moved into Europe and then across the Atlantic Ocean into America, and all the while, people who presented with very bizarre behavior that uh, didn't, on the outside, look uh, or could be measured in such a way that made sense, they were they were ridiculed and, and ostracized and pushed to the corners of society. 
And that residue still carries with us today. And, and that's the unfortunate part about stigma. We don't want to, we don't want to stigmatize people for struggling with a sickness. And I, I think Susanna did a great point, a uh, great job of highlighting an, uh, an example of, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't make fun of somebody with a, with a physical ailment. So why would we make fun of somebody with uh, a mood disorder? This is just, it's cruel. And um, so my invitation to you as you're listening to this is if you find yourself saying things like crazy or insane or go to the asylum or put me in a straight jacket or any of those, you know, down talking terms, stop yourself and ask, would you like it if somebody were to do that to you, if you fell down and broke your arm, say, you know, look at the cripple, he can't even help himself. It's like, well, man, I just fell off my dirt bike, you know, like, <laughs> it's just a broken arm. Uh, let's not weaponize mental illness to keep people who are who are truly struggling with something that can be overcome, and then they can turn into good, productive citizens again. Let's not weaponize that to keep them from seeking the treatment that they need. Let's not... Uh, push them off to the side. And when we hear about uh, political failings, uh, you know, inappropriate expenditures of tax dollars on health care that are not making it into the hands of people who need it the most, let's make sure that we, we make our voices heard to ensure that those people are getting that money to get their help. Because if they don't, we all suffer. And this is a problem that's going to affect everybody. There's, there is nobody who gets to sit back and go, well, you know, just lock up the crazy people. Well, guess whose money it is that's locking up those crazy people? It's your money. And if you'd rather have that money better spent on something like rehabilitating those uh, quote-unquote crazy people, or maybe you'd like your money spent better on, say, fixing the potholes on your street, then that's an option. And maybe the person fixing the potholes is the rehabilitated uh, mentally ill person from you know a few years ago. If you get them the right treatment... Um, they, they can, they can get jobs and they can start producing and, and, uh, then your street gets fixed and everybody gets happier and gets along. We don't want to just pretend like the problem's not ours. You know, so what if people can't get their Medicaid? Uh, they're, 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 they're not a problem of mine. Yes, they are. They're, they're very much a problem of yours. And so we want to reach out with compassion. We want to be a voice to advocate. And ultimately, I think, like I said, in the intro to Susanna's podcast, um, we want to make mental illness treatment cool. Uh, we, we make physical illness treatment cool. I mean, I, I don't know how many Instagram pictures I see of people in their hospital beds and, uh, you know, posting photographs of their, their broken bones and, uh, you know, videos of their CrossFit, you know, which is preventative maintenance, right? You know, if you're, if you're exercising and eating well, how many food pictures do you see crying out loud? That's preventative maintenance. If you're eating well and, and exercising and you have a good diet and you're having fun and you're exploring nature, going on hikes and, you know, keeping your spirit and your soul healthy, that's all preventative maintenance. It, it works the same for mental wellness as, as well. And I'd like to see, you know, Instagram selfies from the lobby of Zephyr Wellness while people are going in there saying, you know, uh, I'm a little depressed today, so I'm going to go talk to my counselor. Uh, I encourage you to do the same. Click, you know, post, uh, tag Zephyr Wellness, uh, zephyrwellness.org. But, <laughs> but, but seriously, I want, I want this to be, be something that we all get fired up about. We all get fired up about education. If education dollars were getting cut or children weren't getting appropriate classroom materials, we'd make our voices heard at the, at the ballot box, you know, if, if uh, suddenly health care were to get cut. And uh, some, you know, people weren't allowed to have have health care or health access. Uh, we would we would be screaming about that. But for some reason, mental health care doesn't doesn't resonate. And I think it's because of this historical lens through which we've traditionally viewed those struggling with mental illness as lesser than's or second class citizens. And the simple fact is, they're not. 
Um, I know because I was one. Most of us have struggled with some sort of mental illness. Whether or not it's been diagnosed is a different matter. But if you've ever had a series of crappy days or you've ever been super anxious or you can't sleep for weeks on end because you're worried about whatever it is, guess what you're struggling with? That's a mental illness. And if you want to treat it, you need to have some resources, whether in the form of best friends, clergy, actual licensed clinicians, or just a place you can go exercise. That's treating your mental illness. And most of us have gone through those things. We've come out well the other side. I don't want to look at the person who's struggling and can't get access to resources and say, screw him. He doesn't matter to me. He should matter to you. If not as a fellow human, then at least as somebody who, if he's healthy or she or she is healthy, isn't draining on your own resources. So, um, a little bit of a, uh, you know, I guess this was a little bit of an intense, heavy podcast. It interwove politics with, uh, you know, with some current events and also some historical perspective. But I think it's important. I think we need to know why we are where we are and and not just um, how to stop where, you know, where we, we're going. Um, it's been great to be able to give insights on emotional functioning and and uh, give various counseling techniques and talk about all these concepts. But I think understanding why it's even necessary is probably the most important thing. Otherwise, everything that comes out of my mouth just sounds like, oh, that's cool, Jake. Thanks for sharing. Um, but I'd like to know why it's even necessary to be shared. Um, if we can notice that somebody's a little bit off, uh, let's go Let's go reach out and ask them. Let's not be afraid of that. Because um, you know, ultimately, if we can reach out with love and compassion and understanding and, re- and it results in somebody's healing, we all benefit. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to be doing some new stuff down the road. I look forward to it. I'm not going to disclose what it is because I myself am not quite sure. <laughs> but uh, we've got some really cool stuff planned for Noggin Notes. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, don't keep this to yourself. Uh, share it with other people because I think in the end we all benefit with, um, with better wellness for all. Have a great week and I wish you all great mental wellness. Bye-bye.